You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded by the Rev. Kerry Klukas on September 22, 2019. A reading from the first letter of Paul to Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your scriptures do not change and that you are a good God who delights in his people. Thank you for creating your human race, male and female, and that we are made in your image. And help us to hear you today and to delight in your good ways. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So a week ago, I began preparing for this week's sermon. And as I read the passages, I totally cringed. And I thought about completely running away from preaching. I thought of sidestepping all the passages because they made me very uncomfortable. You see, I never desired to stand out. I never desired to do something different. Um, I always wanted to kind of blend in. And yet God called me to do something, to follow him, to do something that would cause me to stand out quite a bit. But God's word um, is good and it can be trusted. And if you ever feel nervous about a passage of scripture, do not throw it over your shoulder. Do not run to cultural norms, but rather press into his word and seek out what he means. Today we're gonna focus on the epistle passage today of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 15. So Paul is writing to a young leader who's named Timothy and he's giving him advice and encouragement and correction in regards to leading, to authority, and to raising up new leaders. The early church was 
rapidly growing and many churches were being planted and new leaders were ne being needed to help spread the gospel in the cities. Timothy's job was to establish a faith community, to teach the faith to all believers, and to correct where teaching was inaccurate, and to raise up new leaders in the church. He was young, and he had less experience with leading an organization or even knowing the qualities of a good leader. Paul was seeking to teach him about what to look for and how to deal with the specifics of the leaders and the issues that were in his church. Right before this passage, Paul points to two leaders um, who have gone astray leading others from the faith and whom Paul says harshly to give them up to Satan until they come to a place of repentance. Paul is showing the importance of calling out inaccurate teaching and of leading others away from the faith. Anytime people speak out inaccuracies about the word of God, they are to be taken aside and taught the truth. They are to be challenged so that the church body does not follow them in false teaching, in creating division, or having quarreling. We have this biblical example of Priscilla and Aquila, their husband and wife team, and they take aside leaders and they show them the whole gospel truth rather than what they had as a short inversion. Paul says we are to be a people about prayer. And he gives a list of prayers that we're supposed to pray, supplications and intercessions and thanksgivings. Supplications are prayers in which we lift up our needs and the needs of others and the needs of our church. Supplications can even be in the simple phrase of, Oh Lord, I need you. And there's this song that has been running around in our house when we tensions run high. Um, I need you. I need you, oh Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Oh, I need you. This song is excellent in the middle of the day when you are feeling pressed. Maybe you're in the midst of super overwhelming circumstances. Maybe you're caring for an aged parent or a spouse, or you're surrounded, in my case, with unhappy children, or you're feeling the demands of your job or the sadness and the anxiety that is in your heart and mind. God desires for his people to be a people who find peace in the midst of life's storms and in his presence. Needing him is not weak, and it's not meant to be reserved for the absolute worst part of our lives. If we learn to rely upon Jesus throughout the day-to-day, -day, then when the true trials come in our life, We've cultivated a life of trustworthiness with the Lord. Intercessions are meant to be cries and pleas for other people. Who in your life needs to be lifted up to God right now? Who in your life is far from God, struggling in a dark season, or drowning in life circumstances? 
We are called as followers of Jesus to intercede for others in their time of need. Sometimes we pray for years and years for someone, and it seems like nothing is changing. And then all of a sudden, God's mercy and his grace seem to break free in their life. There's a man, St. Augustine. He was an early church father, and he did great things in the establishment of the early church. But before that, he lived a life that was very, very far from God. It was blatantly in opposition, and he was rebellious from God for a very long time. It was the prayers of his mother, Monica, who brought him to the loving arms of Jesus. Our intercessions for other people's lives and the lives of our church body yield real change and growth. And as we invest our time in praying for others, we actually change. Our hearts become softer. We judge less. We accept more easily. We welcome more openly. And we allow others to come into the midst of our lives, even at the cost of our own place being taken. Praying for others changes us in ways that are good for us. The other prayer that Paul calls us to is a life of thanksgiving. Early on in our marriage, we realized that we were in real financial debt. You guys have heard that before. And we were expecting our very first child. And as I looked down and I watched my stomach grow, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to leave this child to work full time. I knew that God was calling me to a life of raising my kids for his eternal purpose. We knew that things needed to change right away and that it was not going to be a fast fix, but rather a long, long, arduous process. We are going to have to climb um, a proverbial mountain to get out of the pit that we are in. And God used the writings of a woman named Ann Voskamp. She wrote this book called 1,000 Gifts. To, and it, that book radically changed my heart to see the good things in my life. I used this book when my little ones had a nap, and it would break open my tight-fisted heart. And it showed me the joy that I could experience by learning how to give thanks in the moment. There are so many moments in our lives that we can blow by having a bad attitude, a closed-off heart, a sarcastic tone, or an angry disposition. Giving thanks, it turns our tight-fisted hands and our hearts back open to God to experience joy and freedom and less anxiousness. Paul says we're to pray um, these things for our leaders as well, so that they may lead quiet and peaceable lives, godly and respectable in every way. How many of us want to see our leaders live such lives? And yet how often do we hear the contrary in the news? God desires for us, all of us, to live lives of quietness, 
working with our hands and being diligent about the work that he gives us. The life calling of a Christian is supposed to be one that seeks to live at peace with others, that's respectable in our life's choices, and therefore turning other people towards God. Where you go, what you listen to, what you watch on your TV or your computer, and how you treat your neighbor, it all matters in this life. It all shapes you and I into the person that we are, and it shows the world what and who we follow. Paul says it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When Paul uses the word men, the Greek word there, he's referring to all people, for men and women. God desires to redeem his people who are made in his image, and he desires for them to grow in truth and in knowledge. All throughout the story of redemption in the Bible, we have this dance between God and man and woman. And we have the brokenness of Adam and Eve and accepting the fruit from the serpent and the snake, in which death, pain and childbirth, and broken power struggles exist between men and women. The Bible and our current society is chock full of examples of discord between men and women, between people and God. And learning the word of God, studying his commands and his ways is for all people. Paul says that Jesus becomes our mediator to God and it is for all people. Jesus stands in our place before God as a lamb once offered. Jesus gives of himself so that you and I might come and not be obliterated by God, but rather to be loved and extended grace and freedom from our sins. Growing in knowledge and truth, it takes time, right? In study and deliberate seeking out of wisdom. In order for the church to be holy, in order for true doctrine and teaching to be done, people need to educate themselves regarding what the Bible says. We can trust the word of God, and you can lean on the word of God. You can live your life by the word of God. Faith in Jesus is a safe and it is a good way to live your life. There are so many ways in which um, you can grow in your knowledge and in your truth of the Word of God. In our church, we have an awesome education hour on Sunday in between these two services. Um, there's always a class being offered over in the um, office building. And right now, Ken Palsley is teaching a series on Acts. Um, I have not had the privilege of being able to take one of his classes other than slipping in and out. And I'll tell you this, the things that I hear, he is an excellent teacher. He is a complete and utter gift from God to our church. He has submitted himself to learning the word of God, to studying, and to knowing um, how to explain it in a way that makes it accessible to everybody. 
And there's also a Bible study that meets with people who have been studying, diligently studying the Word of God for a long time. And they meet over um, in the parish hall. Go and explore with them. They love the Bible. They love the Lord. There's a Wednesday night service here at 6.30 with discipleship time and Eucharist. And for those of you who need, some people need tools outside of church hours, um, there's a website that I use a lot called Pray As You Go, and it facilitates this beautiful time of Bible reading and contemplative prayer where you're asked questions regarding the scripture and giving, gives you periods of quietness and reflection. There's also an app for your phone if you're more young-wired. I'm less young-wired, but, you know, there's a lot of people who are. There are all these apps now on your phone. Not that I know how to download them, but my children do. <laughs> um, one of which called She Reads Truth, and it's an excellent one in which it gives you scriptures and devotions for every day to study, to dig in, to know the Word of God. There's also our Book of Common Prayer, which has just recently been printed, which we now um, have access to. In your Book of Common Prayer, it gives you a framework for reading your Bible and praying prayers and of being united with Christians all around the world. The resources basically are totally great, and Father Chris and I can point you to so many different options. The question is, Will you give yourself to the study of the Word? If you want to know the ways of God, you have to carve out time in your life for it. Even 15 minutes a day can glean a great impact in your own life. The passage in um, Timothy continues on to give instructions for men and women in the church. And it appears that in this time, there's a heresy that's going around um, from a group of women who are claiming that men were the perpetrators or the authors of sin in the world. There are women who believe that it was the fault of men, and men only, for the sin of the world. <clears throat> the men in Timothy's church were actually coming to this place of violence in regards to these allegations. Could you imagine it? Men rolling up their sleeves in the parking lot at church, coming to a position of violence? No. Christians are to stand up for injustices. We are to be truth-tellers when things are wrong. But we're not to do so with violence. Christian men are being instructed by um, Paul and being instructed to pray, lifting their holy hands to God, seeking out his wisdom and living their lives with peace and godliness. A truly strong Christian man is one who stands up for the weak, the one who has no voice, the one who is physically weaker and needs protection. Men should stand up for children, for women, and for the elderly. Paul then turns his attention to women, and he instructs them to adorn themselves with modesty 
not wearing braided hair or costly pearls or gold. He encourages them to clothe themselves with good deeds as befitting for a Christian woman. Does this mean, my girls are gonna be like, oh, today, does this mean that God does not want you to braid your hair or to wear pearls or gold? No. Paul was writing at a time when the only women seen um, with braided hair or costly jewelry or bare arms were either prostitutes um, or they were extremely wealthy women. And if they turned to a life of faith in Jesus, they were to leave behind the markings of their previous life and not dress in a way that proclaims their status in the world or their sensuality. We today as faithful women are to adorn ourselves in such a way that shows respect for ourselves and for others. You are beautiful and your body is a gift meant to be treasured and not shared with the whole world. Modesty is truly for all people, women as well as for men. And when we present ourselves and yourselves and your body in such a way as to encourage others to listen to your words and your ideas and not to notice every curve of your body, then you're honoring God. So when you dress, and this is what we teach our girls, when you dress yourself, what is the goal of your clothes? Am I dressing in a way that reminds people that I'm made in the image of God and that I bear his mark in the world? Paul then goes on to make, this, make statements that women should learn in silence and be submissive and not teach. This is a passage that has caused much pain um, and suffering and has left many voices silenced over the years. Due to, we are really blessed in 2019 to have the gift of amazing, beautiful Bible software in which now we can look up a word. I can roll over a word in my computer with my mouse and look at a word and it can give me all of the history in all of the places in the Bible where that word is also used and, and other books at the same time in, in history, how they were used. And the word that is used for silence is actually better translated as peaceful quiet or meditation. And there's a biblical scholar, Jeremiah Coogan, um, who says that that word is used in opposition to violence and conflict. It's like the other side of violence and conflict. Remember the heresy being taught that the men were the cause for evil in the world? Paul was not saying that women should be silent all the time, but rather he was saying to stop constantly bickering and take the time to listen and to learn the teachings of Christ. All throughout the letters of Paul, we have these biblical examples of Paul lifting up the work and the ministry and the leadership of women. Paul directly points many of his leaders to care for these women and to honor them in their work, to provide for them as godly Christian men would do for any woman. The Greek word for 
have authority over men in this passage is authentian. And this translation um, that we, the English translation that we have is to have godly authority. It's not a very good one because all throughout the New Testament, the Greek word that we use is exousia. And that's talking about godly authority or godly oversight. And the word that we have today, authentian, is not found anywhere else in the Bible. And so its meaning, to understand what its meaning is, we actually have to go to other writings that were at the same time. When we find it in other places, it always has to do with one or two other things. Violence or seduction. Paul doesn't want the women in his church to use dominance or seduction in the church to lead men astray. Paul is saying that Christian women, like Christian men, must take time to learn, to be in peace, and to learn the way of Jesus before they can teach. Brand new converts or immature Christians should not be teaching or leading others. And you can't lead until you've learned to be a good follower of the Good Shepherd Jesus. Some women in Ephesus were teaching that the men were the instigators of sin in the world, and Paul used his great understanding of the Bible to remind them of the truth, to remind them of the story of Adam and Eve. Eve was the first to take the fruit from the serpent due to her lack of her understanding and taking time to learn. Adam, on the other hand, was in the garden with Eve, and he says nothing to Eve or to the serpent. He just took the fruit and ate as well. They both sinned, and they both received a curse from God. Eve's curse was to have pain in childbirth and a longing or a grasping after her husband or her relationships. Adam's curse was an obsession for the ground, right? You shall till the ground. And it's obsession for his work. And it's a disorientation away from his wife and away from the people around him. Paul then makes the statement that women shall be saved from childbirth if she continues in faith and love and holiness with modesty. He's referring to the new Eve, like as in Mary and Jesus, Paul is not saying that women who cannot have children are without the ability to be saved. I don't think anyone in this room would say that a childless woman is without the gospel or the saving grace of Jesus. The redemption of brokenness of Adam and Eve comes about in the form of Mary and of Jesus. God comes to this very young girl and he submits himself to her, asking her to carry his son Jesus into the world. He didn't demand, he didn't use dominance over her. And Mary then, she responds to God, be it unto me according to your will. She submits herself back to God. And the restoration of the gospel is that great dance that we have between love 
and respect and submission between a man, a woman, and God. Paul's goal in this passage of Scripture does not seem to say that women should never preach or speak in public, but rather that they should take time to learn, to listen, and to follow the ways of Jesus. Godly leading should always be seeking to walk in holiness, growing in our understanding of the gospel and of the scriptures, loving other people, and living a transformed life. The passage directly following this one for today talks all about the characteristics of godly leaders and who Timothy was to look out for and as his church developed and grew in size. And God longs to see our lives grow and transform. God longs to give us peace, to give us quietness and understanding in our lives. To love Jesus is to live a life that is poured out for him and in hot pursuit of what his word means in our lives. God's word can be trusted, it can be relied upon, and it can be used to give us direction and wisdom and hope for our lives. There's not a single moment of time that you might spend reading his word that will be wasted. But there is plenty of time in our day when we waste away precious moments for what? A, a moment of escape, a moment of entertainment, a moment of self-indulgence. God's word can steady you. It can give you peace. It can give you clarity and hope in the midst of life's troubles and sorrows. So may you experience Jesus in his word this week. May you seek out some more time in his word and be transformed in spirit and truth. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.